Support for this podcast comes from the Texas Mutual Insurance Company, a workers' comp provider committed to making Texas businesses safer, stronger, better. Learn more about how Texas Mutual helps protect your people and your business at texasmutual.com better. This is No Hill for a Climber from Texas Public Radio. I'm Michael Taylor. Vera and Brent Deckard are the founders and owners of Kunstler Brewing, a German-themed brew pub south of downtown San Antonio. It's my favorite place to drink beer, full disclosure. So Vera and Brent, thanks so much for having the conversation. Michael, thanks so much for inviting us. It's a real honor. Vera, your journey to becoming a brewer was as I understand it, kind of accidental. And it's, for me, humorous. And as well, Brent was serving with the Air Force in Afghanistan. Can you tell me that story? Yeah, so um, I met Brent, actually, um, in a brew pub. Imagine that. Uh, we were both working at the Calistoga Inn in Calistoga. I was the server. He was the bartender. Brent always had a passion for beer. And when I met him, he was a home brewer. Fast forward to we are now in San Antonio and married and, you know, Brent's still kind of brewing on the side and uh, he gets uh, deployed to Afghanistan for six months. So at that point, I was told by the military, you know, when wives are left alone for six months, we recommend that you find a hobby. Like, okay, I have kids. I know a couple of languages. I love to cook. I couldn't think of anything, um, but I did come across a book um, on brewing small batches. And that made total sense to me that I should gift Brent with a small batch book because I felt like that would be just so much more efficient. I ordered the book, I was gonna send it to him, I opened it to you know, write a little note to him, and I started reading it and ended up reading that book the whole night, the next morning, I had uh, a shopping list, a bunch of things that I needed from the uh, homebrew store, Um, went shopping and brewed my first batch of beer, and it was really, really crappy. (laughs) (laughs) But it was, I discovered that it was so much fun, and I realized that, you know, all these, all the little mistakes that I made, it's like, oh, okay, well, this could be changed, I could do this, you know. And I planned the next batch, and the next batch was uh, crappy too, but I learned another lesson. And then finally, by the time Brent was home, there were um, two kegs. Brent had a kegerator. So there were two kegs of beer. One was a brown ale, and the other one was um, a milk stout. Uh, And they were quite delicious. And he came home to a wife that was like, I discovered this homebrewing thing, you know, can we brew next weekend? Can we brew? You know, and and so we did. We brewed together on weekends. And even when he went on trips, I figured out how I could brew by myself, five-gallon batches, 10-gallon batches. And um, we lived in a very small house, or still do, in King Williams. And I think one day Brent came home and he saw me with my earbuds in. I was listening to a podcast on brewing. There were magazines everywhere. Erlenmeyer flasks on stir plates because the yeast had to be grown up. And then I had fermentation vessels in just about every room, freezers and the dining room. And he looks at me, he's like, you know, this kind of looks like Breaking Bad. (laughs) You're the the mad chemist in the kitchen of your own house, making a mess with beakers and uh, containers of liquids everywhere. Pretty much. So the challenge was, you know, you're either going to have to tone it down a little bit or why don't you just go pro? And I'm like, all right, let's go pro. So that's... 
that's how that all kind of came about. The origin story. Brent, what's your impression when uh, you come back from deployment and Vera's got a new obsession? Well, it was interesting because the obsession was truly an obsession. I mean, when I'd get home from work, there would be some podcast on her phone going, talking about homebrewing or yeast fermentation. And then it was books on water chemistry, on all kinds of things, uh, yeast books and all of this. And so 2014 rolls around, and that's when I said, maybe it's time to do something different. <laughs> like, maybe, why not do this professionally? So lots of friends of mine are like you, Brent, dabbling in beer making. In the 2010s, I think it was a thing. It was definitely a thing. Um, most of it is, yeah, you're drinking it to be polite. So, <laughs> so what is it about your personality, Vera, that made you not satisfied with what was going on before and to become obsessed enough to, in my opinion, become the best brewer that I've ever drank? I think it comes from, I have a passion for cooking. And when I create a dish, I, I can be pretty hard on myself as far as like, okay, this is delicious, but next time I will continue to try to perfect it until it meets whatever my standard is. And I think it's the same with brewing. I think I have a pretty good palate, and so I'm very critical on myself. Now we get to hear from Brent. What are the downsides of Vera's obsession and perfectionism? We own a restaurant. <laughs> you had to go ahead and prove that this was actually worthy of showing to the public and attracting the clientele? Uh, absolutely. I think um, the other, the really big part about it was when we did decide we were going to do it, we didn't want to just do a distributor model. The idea is we wanted to create a spot where people would be happy to hang out, have some beers, hang out with friends, um, take family, all that kind of stuff. And I, I think we've done it. I wonder about the location that you're at, which is incredibly, I would say, non-intuitive. <laughs> you ended up in, it's tucked away for people who haven't been there. It's a semi-commercial, industrial, mixed residential neighborhood. There's no natural foot traffic. If you were not from nearby, you might think it's a fairly stabby part of town, actually, or at least before you guys established. Can you tell me about your decision process for finding that location and deciding to take this pretty non-intuitive place? Uh, we were pretty determined that we wanted to be downtown because we live downtown, but also we felt that, you know, the neighborhood really needed that neighborhood spot. I feel people live differently now. Their yards are smaller. Many people don't have yards. Many people don't have garages. So what they do is they hang out at breweries, and that's where they meet friends and family, and that's where they make new friends. That's where they meet their neighbors. So in finding Künstler, finally... We end up in a, a kind of a dead-end neighborhood. Totally. Kind of. I mean, really. I mean, that's the part I want you to talk about, which is this is not a normal place. There's no foot traffic. It's a dead end. There's no parking. Now there's parking, but there was no parking. This is a weird place to go. It is. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But there comes a point when you're looking for a spot for so long. I felt like we almost gave up because just like we just can't seem to find the right spot. Whenever we would find the right spot, it wasn't good for brewing or there were other issues. And so when we finally found this warehouse and we were able to purchase this warehouse, I remember having this moment like, well, who's going to find us? 
I think so too. I mean, really, <laughs> this is a weird place. It's yeah. you've made it work. Uh, clearly, the place is mobbed all the time, which is great. But it is not a natural place to go. Were you worried? I mean, that seems yeah. like a very worrisome thing. It's like halfway into it, we did a lot of the construction ourselves, and I found myself being alone at this warehouse, often myself painting, cleaning, doing whatever. And I would look around at just that. And I realized, although the neighborhood looked sketchy, it was actually a very safe neighborhood. I never had any issues there. You kind of get to know your neighbors. Uh, Brent and I had these discussions, and we kind of leaned on the fact that, well, craft brewers will always find you. I mean, maybe the the tourist, but the tourist is going to be like, no, there's no way. I, th- I think we got lost. Let, let's go over to Freetail or something, <laughs> you know. And then with the social media, um, you know, to me it was always... I realized very quickly that people don't really go to your website, they go to your Instagram, to your Facebook, you know, so we tried really hard, even when I didn't have somebody doing it for me, I tried really hard to keep it current, keep it fresh, keep it witty, have really nice, sexy pictures, just appealing things. So I think that helped us as well. I think that uh, one of the parts of that that is intriguing is that actually people are really excited when they do find Kunstler. Because they look at it as like, it's this hidden spot and it's theirs, right? It's like, oh man, have you been to Kunstler? And people are like, no, what is that? And then it, it kind of creates its own mystique, if you will, because it is it is fairly hidden. When I talk to a small business owner, I'm always trying to generalize, well, here's what they did well and maybe you could emulate that. And I would always think that if you're going to have a restaurant or a pub, you want to be where the foot traffic already is, right? That's the obvious thing. The Riverwalk in San Antonio is popular because it's popular, right? That's where you would want to set up a restaurant. So you all did the opposite. And I like, Brent, what you said, which is maybe when people find you, they feel like, ooh, this is an off the beaten path. So there is a loyalty to the the discovered hidden gem aspect, which is another strategy, right? It's the opposite strategy than we're on the thoroughfare. We're right in the in Times Square of, of wherever you are. I mean, there are TV shows based on finding that location, finding that hidden place. Mm-hmm. And you pay a lot more rent and a lot more expectation when you are on that thoroughfare. Right. And you don't have the flexibility that we had initially of like, of putting it all together. Right. So I guess the other business principle is if you're running a restaurant or a brew pub, can you own your own real estate? And to do that, you have to be an off the beaten path place to afford to be able to buy the real estate. I want to talk about customer loyalty. And you all did something that I was super impressed by as a pretty much a startup at that point that you did it, but you created the Stamtish. As I understand it, the Stamtish is the mug club and members, including myself, pay upfront something like $200. You'll correct me what the price is. And for the year, get discounts on food and drink and get a special signifier mug that has larger pours. And so that when you're sitting in Kunstler and looking across the room at somebody else as the mug, you can recognize that's your that's your brethren in the Stamtisch. So yeah, Stamtisch in German means locals table. Um, and if you're in Bavaria and you go to a little local spot or restaurant, there's always that one table that says Stamtisch and, and that's where uh, a group of local guys sit down, meet, they play cards, they drink beers that's kind of their table that is reserved to them. So that's where Stammtisch comes from. And we actually have that Stammtisch table, which is the one with the 
the long bench um, and the long table. And you are correct, it is $200. And with that $200, you get a really badass mug. Uh, and it's a 20 ounce pour versus a 16 ounce pour. You have uh, 15% off of um, your whole tab. There were a couple of reasons behind it. One was we were just, I felt like we were always under budget. We never really realized just how expensive everything was. New construction is cost twice as much, takes three times as long. So yeah. you're, you're short on money in your first year, I assume. Yeah, I felt like every time we wrote a check, it was like $3,000, $3,000, multiples of 3000 5000 It just like went on and on. And we were running out of money quickly. Uh, we have investors, but we, we didn't want to have like a lot of investors. We still wanted to be in control of the company. So there was that. It was just like, man, we before we open, we need a really quick influx of money. The other thing was I, I did always want to have a club because I felt like it created customer loyalty. Um, and it also created a sense of community again. So you're sitting there, Michael, with your mug and, and you see somebody else who has a mug and maybe you guys will start talking and then you realize you guys went to school together or your kids go to school together or something. So I, I think initially I wanted 200 members and then I didn't think that we would sell out before we opened. So I reduced it down to 150 and we were able to sell the 150 uh, within two months of opening. So, but yeah, so this was, to me, it was a great way to, uh, for people to have a sense of community, for us to have a lot of regulars that feel like they're investors because they know, you know, like that first round of um, money that we got through the club, that was to build out the sports hall. You know, so now we were able to put the TVs in and, and things like that. Um, so, we, and then, you know, the next one was the beer garden. So we just kind of keep rolling into these projects and um, they're funded by our members. This last year, I think our renewal rate was somewhere around 70%, which is really impressive. Pretty good. And how big is our waiting list now? Our waiting list is at about 800 right now, last I checked. (laughs) So that's a really good sign that people not only are loyal, but want to be even more loyal to your business. I mean, that's amazing. That must make you really proud. It does. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. It's a great, um, just a great data point. Amazing. It still isn't going to get any bigger. Okay. Yeah, it's exclusivity. It's like uh, that's the key to making something valuable is keep it exclusive a little bit. And, you know, just like there's a sense of pride when, you know, often I, I drive up and, you know, people don't know who I am. <laughs> and I watch people, like, arrive on the patio and they're like, oh, my gosh, we're here. You know, it's like they've arrived at Disneyland. And I just love seeing that, you know, that people are just so happy to be there and show this off to their friends or family visiting or just, you know, being able to just enjoy the vibe. I don't know any other famous women brewers. When you show up among other brewers, are there any other women there? More and more so. They don't necessarily have to be brewers. Uh, It could be quality control. It could be distribution. But we see more and more women uh, in the industry. And I noticed that there are also more and more female brewers in Texas now as well. Okay, which I then, think is then great. even compared to eight years ago, say. Absolutely, okay. absolutely. And, and it's nice, you know, sometimes, I mean, people often ask me, well, what's it like to be a female in a male-dominated industry? And I, I honestly don't know because I, I just don't know. I don't know what it's like to be a male, you know. So 
don't know how to give you that perspective. But what I do in, enjoy is I feel like women have often been intimidated by this type of job. And I've heard often that they're like, oh, wow, you know, you inspire me. I see that, you know, if you can do this, well, may- maybe I can do it too. Is there anything in your life you have been as good at as you are at brewing beer? <laughs> well, you know, I always thought I was a really good athlete. Not competitive, I just always thought I was a good athlete and it took a lot of focus, it took a lot of drive and dedication. And intuitively, that was like the first thing that came to mind when you just asked me that question because running this brewery, this Künstler, is like running a, a marathon. Uh, not necessarily a fast race, but a marathon, and it it takes thoughtfulness. You have to think ahead. You have to calculate. Maybe that's the only other thing I've been really good at is being a good athlete. I disagree. <laughs> Tell me. I more. mean, uh, she raised five children. She was an f- amazing paramedic. Anything that she's put her mind to, she's done really well at. Brent, what are you best at? Flying airplanes. Okay. Are you still active with the Air Force or your Air Force Reserve? No, I retired last year. Okay. Uh, but I, my full-time job is I fly for FedEx. Even but, now, running this brew pub? Yes. When do you all sleep? <laughs> when I'm on a trip. I mean, FedEx, pilot for FedEx means you're actually literally out of the city, unavailable a lot. With the modern computers and connectivity has made it a lot more doable. Um, I have a background in business as far as education goes, so I'm able to do like most of the books and I can do those remotely, right? I can do payroll, I can do all of that, and I don't have to be present to do that. So that's kind of my contribution from, from that perspective. Although I'm really good at washing tanks too, but... Uh, okay. <laughs> Official beer tank washer? Yeah, because if you do get in the beer industry, you will realize that it is 1% brewing and 99% cleaning. <laughs> okay. I think it's fair to say you're 99% responsible for the successful beer producing then. Right? Yeah. <laughs> oh, there you go. That's a great way of looking at it. We need to take a break, but when we come back, Vera and Brent discuss the unique challenges of running a brewery during a pandemic. In Texas business, success doesn't happen by accident. Even the best operations need careful planning, a great team, and loads of hard work. Texas Mutual Insurance Company has helped all kinds of Texas businesses grow and thrive for more than 30 years with expert safety guidance and great workers' compensation coverage. With the right workers' comp partner, business is safer, stronger, better. Learn more at texasmutual.com better. This is No Hill for a Climber. I'm Michael Taylor. I'm talking with Vera and Brent Deckard, the owners of Kunstler Brewing in San Antonio. The couple had barely opened up their brewery when the pandemic hit. And like a lot of people I've talked to in this podcast, dealing with the pandemic became a formative moment in the life of their business. What would you say now, two years after the outbreak, what are your biggest headaches on a Monday morning? (laughs) What are you most worried about? Uh, Staffing is the most difficult, and it has been because there's been such a flood of cash into the market. It's just really hard to find people that want to work. Prices have had to go up. The other thing that's been really difficult, too, is 
sourcing of things. Uh, you remember we had our, our Tuesday lobster special. Mm-hmm. We did a lobster, lobster roll at cost, and it was just a way to drive business on a slow Tuesday. And so we charge, I think we started out at 13 or $14 uh, for the lobster. And when we, by the time it was all said and done, we were like at 15, 16. And then we had a hard time sourcing lobster. And now if we did lobster night, it would be $30, you know. On the brewer side as well, for a while, it was really hard to source Pilsner malt, source various different things that you're accustomed to brewing with. At the moment, shipping is an issue. You know, you'll order something, you'll order way ahead of time, but then you find out it's delayed because, you know, they can't find a shipper. Really, I mean, the supply chain is still in huge disruption. Uh, the Ukraine situation hasn't helped. A significant amount of wheat comes out of Russia as far as like food products and stuff like that. So it's just everything is difficult now. One of the questions I've asked most guests is what are the things about business that you still don't understand or you wish you understood better? For me, it's the book side, the finances, because that's not my thing. Because Brent has just, he's so great at it, so I rely heavily on him. What I would love to be able to do would be how to motivate and have employees that enjoy being there. I think every day is one of those things is like, I want my staff to enjoy coming to work. I don't like the idea that they go there because they just need money. Because you can make, you can technically make great beer. You can technically make great food, but you need the great people to make that all happen. Right now we we employ 29 people. I look at it like we're not employing 29 people. We are taking care of 29 families. So that's a huge responsibility. And I want them to be happy. I want them to be happy to come to work and we try our best to, to give them a voice because we can't come up with all the ideas. Brent, can you give me your version of what does total success look like at Kunstler? Total success, to me, we would have the correct ratio of staff, that we would have the correct people in a responsible level that we could step away and not be there and know that it was going to still produce the exact same product as if we were there pretty much in the same line i i want to be able to step away not all the time but be able to step away and still have somebody carry my vision like okay this is when we turn the lights down a little bit this is when the music needs to change this is how we need to critique the beers these are the new beers that we need to think about you know just uh, have somebody else have managers have that passion as well Vera, you were describing the customer experience that you're looking for when somebody comes to Kunstler. Can you just describe that to me? There's so much joy in like watching you come in with your family and I see that your kids are relaxed, you know, your wife is happy, you're enjoying a beer, but not only are you enjoying a beer, you, you have the whole experience, the food, the beer, the family, and you're creating memories in our place. And that's always what drives me when I step out from the back of the house, from the production area, and I look around and I see the memories that people create, the stories that they create. Uh, They're playing games, they're talking, they're meeting people. Um, Just to be able to have a little part of that is wonderful to me. 
Brent, can you describe for me the vision you have for being a successful employer to the way you want your employees to approach working for you? I would say not with dread. <laughs> <laughs> that would be the best. Is they tell, don't dread. tell me more on the, on the positive side. <laughs> I think you're growing any business that has employees. Your goal with it would be that each one of those employees had a vision for what they wanted out of it as well. So for instance, we have quite a few staff that have plans, particularly in our management side, that have plans of opening up their own restaurant, potentially opening up their own brewery. You think that's a good thing? Absolutely, because that that shows that they're passionate about it. I mean, I don't know any business that the goal is not to groom your successor, if you will. That's sometimes described in business as the problem of having successful employees is your best salesman will always leave. but you're not seeing it as a negative thing, you're seeing it as a positive thing. You're growing new brewers or new restaurant managers. Yeah, I absolutely hope. I mean, as a private business owner, I would always want my employees to strive to do their own. And we're, we 100% support and would be happy to help anybody who's looking to, you know, to expand their vision and open their own restaurant or open their own brewery. And I think that a lot of our staff is, is there because that's their plan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we have we have staff members that will come up to me and say, hey, you know, can I, can I help out in the production area? Mm-hmm. I don't want to get paid for it. I just want to be there. I want to see what it's like because I, you know, I, I think I might want to open up a brewery at some point, you know, and I want to know all aspects. Vera, where are you from? How did you get to Texas? Um, I was born and raised in Germany. I still have family in Germany. Uh, in my 20s, I went to California and never returned to Germany. And I did not learn how to drink beer while I was in Germany. Uh, you are part of the most modern edition of the German to Texas brewery tradition, which is probably 160, 170 years of this tradition. Yeah. It's also interesting how we, you know, for like when we opened up, it was all about IPAs and maybe some Belgian beers, but mostly IPAs and pale ales. Uh, And we opened up with one Pilsner. And that was at a time where very few brewers actually were making Pilsners back then. And now these German beers are so popular. And I absolutely love that. I love bringing more and more German beers into the tavern. But it is really nice that we're definitely going back to the old traditional style of brewing and the simple styles, crisp, quenchable, easy to drink. I'm aware of a new location that you're opening up soon. Your new location is in arguably one of the most high traffic places in town, or at least forward looking for San Antonio. Hemisphere is going to be where you know, you're going to get both the tourist crowds naturally and presumably locals. Yeah, I think that that's, uh, it'll be interesting because it will definitely be a different business than what the brewery is. I think it's been kind of exciting, especially with the park. And COVID actually had a lot of changes in Texas. So Texas is more open to consumption of alcohol in parks and stuff like that. So Hemisphere Park allows you to, you know, if you want to carry a glass of wine around the park, if you want to carry a, you know, have a beer in the park, you can do that. And it's not as restrictive, which is, so you, So the idea is that even though the space is small, the indoor-outdoor footprint is, can be quite large. 
So the historic analogy here is post the 1918 Spanish flu, we had the roaring 20s. And so now Texas has opened up to walk around with your drinks and it's the roaring 20s again. Well, and it always, it's all municipality-based. So just like if you go up to Fredericksburg, you can walk around Fredericksburg with, with your beer, a glass of wine, and it's not a, and it's not a problem. Um, but San Antonio was pretty restrictive as far as what they, what they were allowing. And that is post-COVID has loosened up, or during COVID, it kind of, you know, cocktails to go became a thing. COVID forced it, and now I'm excited for the roaring 2020s. Yeah, this is good. absolutely. <laughs> Vera and Brent, I'm really grateful for you taking the time. I, I love your, uh, your brew pub. It's my favorite place to go to drink beer, and I'm excited for another location. I'm really, uh, thank you for explaining the whole process of opening and running a small business. I salute you. Thank you so much for having us, Michael. Thank you. No Hill for a Climber is produced by Ben Henry and Dan Katz at Texas Public Radio.